begin with just a little bit of review. I know you went someplace else last week. Uh, Colin has done this before. He asked me if I had a series I was doing, and my response to him was, yes, I do, and you keep your cotton-picking fingers off of it. And he said, okay, I'll do something else. So uh, <laughs> uh, this, uh, I, I know the Lord wrote it through Paul, but I kind of think like it's mine, so I want to kind of keep my way working through here. So um, two weeks ago, I talked to you about what would bring pre- praise to his glory. And if you remember, I, I ended up talking about the truth of the gospel. Uh, it's in verse 13. We're still in this longest sentence in the New Testament. Verse 13, it says, In him also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So we, we, we focused, and I, I want to kind of go back and reiterate just a little bit of that. I said to you two weeks ago that, that the gospel is an indicative not an imperative. An indicative is a, a reality or a truth. An imperative is a, a command. And um, most most unchurched people, in if I can use the term, in this Christian society that we live in, or semi-Christian society that we live in, focus on the commands, not the truth. And to, to some degree, that's the fault of the church. Uh, and it's, I hope you'll pray with us as we try to explain this. It's, it is easy to see the result of a command. Now, interestingly enough, when Greg was up here and he shared his testimony, he talked about some of the changes that took place in his life because of what the Lord had done. Now, that was, that was inside out. It's very easy to try to put that on from externally and make it outside in. That does not work. But in a lot of places, because we see that outward thing, we try to emphasize that outward thing. And when we get done with it, what we've got is people with changed behavior and unchanged hearts. And if there is no changed heart, then there is no salvation. Salvation changes heart. As as we grow older, we may forget the excitement of discovery that we had when we were younger. Um, in school, um, you know, doing school stuff in relationships, doing some tasks, and that when something uh, clicked, it changed us. And, and from that time on, we, we viewed, understood things, or, or at least that thing, differently than we had before and it changed the way we functioned and and no one told us what to do once we saw it we 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 knew what to do there was there was no you know there was no confusion about it we saw it 
And, and the light bulb went on, you know, that proverbial cartoon light bulb came on, and all of a sudden we, we saw it, and there was no other action except to respond to the reality that all of a sudden we saw. Now I want to I want to challenge you in two or three two or three ways, um, if I can. And I said earlier that as we grow older, we 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 uh, we forget that excitement of discovery. We had. I mean, I learn things all the time. So you know, I'm all, all the time picking up facts. Most of them aren't very helpful, you know. So, but you learn things. I'm not talking about learning things. I'm talking about that moment that comes on and the light bulb comes on and things are different from that time on. And one of the problems is because we don't read this book. If you read this book faithfully and regularly, you will have those light bulb moments of discovery. The Holy Spirit will do it. It may not do it every time you read it. As a matter of fact, it probably won't happen every time you read it. It may not happen every week. It may not even be every month. But there will be times when you will read this book and the Holy Spirit will say, here's what that means. And the light bulb will go on and your life will be changed from that time forward. That's what this book does. So... Uh, what I just gave you was kind of an earthly picture of what happens with the gospel, with the word of God, which is alive. The Bible says it is, the old King James said quick, all right? That word means, that was to them, that meant alive, and sharper than a sword. And so when, when we hear that truth, and it's made real by the Holy Spirit, it's that truth that sets us free. That's in John eight thirty two. We shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set us free. How many know that's a life-changing moment? Uh, Pilgrim's pack rolls off. His burden rolls off. He's free. And, all, and he has to all of a sudden become accustomed to the fact that he's not carrying that burden around and everything is different. Unfortunately, we have churches that have people in them that have not had that experience. It's, it's, it's in truth that we worship. Again, those are the words of Jesus. He says the time is coming when you won't worship on that mountain or in this mountain, but anyone who worships God is going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That then there are commands, and when we get to we get to like the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, you know, in I don't know twenty twenty six or something when we get there, uh, Paul begins a series of, of commands or um, principles so that we can, we can live for the Lord. So the commands to help us understand because we're in this new reality. And so that's why you, you see things, you read things in Scripture that say something like this, let him who stole, what? Steal no more but rather work with his hands so that he may have something to give. So you, you've got this contrast. What, what's that, what is that contrasting? That is contrasting the old life and the new life. 
If you can't contrast that, you probably don't know the Lord. So the, the commands that, that too many churches and most of the world wants to focus on, those, for a believer, those commands are received gladly because we want to honor and please the one who died for us. And those who focus on the commands have probably never had that aha, light bulb, came on moment that creates faith, that changed their life, and that caused them to want to glorify the Lord. 99.9% of all of our prop, all of our personal problems, and most certainly all of our ecclesiastical problems that we have out here is because people ignore, deny, forget this book. This is God's word to us. And, and we, we could go through a study on the authority of Scripture, how Jesus quoted the Old Testament, and, and, and go through all that. We don't, can't do all of that now. But Paul is, is very plain with it. He says, It was in him you believed when you heard the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And I remember two weeks ago I talked about how um, I was at a meeting and, and most of the preachers there were talking about how they weren't preaching. And that's a disturbing thing to me. I, I, I took off and was gone and, and uh, uh, haven't got a chance to actually organize all my thoughts and kind of deal with it, but I, in, uh, Lord willing, I intend to. I intend to write some notes or articles or letters or something and try to try to have some input on this. Preachers are supposed to preach the truth. This book. All right. So, because of that, let's go let's jump back into this. Verse 13, in her in him, excuse me, in him um, you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So those who believe that moment were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk for just a couple of minutes about about this seal, and I'm going to kind of let you think about it. We're, uh, folks, we're still captive to this earth. We still do not have all that God has for us. First Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 talked about those things that God has reserved in heaven for us that so we, we do not have while we're here. Uh, let me read to you, so uh, kind of put all this in context. Let me read to you a, f- a couple verses from Romans chapter 8. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So he talks about the fact that we haven't yet completed 
what's going on, what, that, that this process is not yet complete and, and that all creation uh, groans. Um, and I, I, there's more that could be said about that, but I, I wanted to read just that passage. So though we're here, we have a promise of things yet to come. What's here is only a foretaste and earnest. We'll cover that word here in just a minute. And yet we are given the seal and that earnest until the time when God can finish up all that God's going to do. Every believer, the moment they believe, is given the Holy Spirit. You can read Romans 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it tells us that every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every individual believers. The phrase is used twice in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, once of the individual and once of the corporate body of Christ. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit when we believe. And the job of the Spirit, according to the words of Jesus, is to glorify the Son and the Father. So God sends His Spirit into us and the Spirit will work in us so that the Son and the Father are glorified through us and by us. And that longing and that, uh, that desire to hear those commands, when that light comes on, that desire to hear those commands is because that's the Holy Spirit putting that desire in there. If you have a desire for God's Word, if you have a desire to honor Him, if you have a desire to live for Him, if, if, you, have a, if you have a desire to connect with Him in prayer, all of those things are the Holy Spirit that God has given you as this seal, this earnest, drawing you to Him. Don't thwart Him. Don't dull your, hear, your ear to hearing what He's saying to you. Don't, don't rationalize away those pulls and prods where He's trying to do this. The Holy Spirit comes, He convicts us, He comforts us, and he shows us other truth from his words, and we already talked about that. He even, he, and again, Paul talks about it in Romans, he even, he even helps us when we pray. The Bible says when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Not our, now I, I can't go into all this today, but it's not our spirit that prays. That's something different in, in, in Romans 8 where he talks about it. It's, it's just the Holy Spirit that prays on our behalf. So, what is this seal? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to elaborate a lot on this because I think we, we can understand this. So uh, I, I want you to write this part of the sermon when you go home. Okay? Um, I, I'm still on vacation. No. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I want you to think about it. Because it's, it doesn't take it doesn't take it doesn't take a knowledge of Greek. It, it doesn't you know you don't have to have a degree in rhetoric. You just have to stop and think. What is that seal? Let me let me give you some hints. The seal shows authority. It shows ownership. It tells of security. 
We put the seal on our documents. We secure our envelopes with it. We, we put a little clamp and a seal on the back of our semi-trucks. So I encourage you when you go home, read this verse and say, all right, Lord, what does this seal mean? And, and you, you take the concept that you have of that and, and all of the different phrase, phrases of it. And, and I tell you the reason I'm doing this, because I read through all these commentaries about it, and they didn't tell me anything I didn't know. They didn't tell me anything that any of you couldn't think about. You all know what a seal is. The problem is we, we don't stop and think about it. We don't read this and stop to think about it. what does that mean? What is it? Well, I read that's a seal of the Holy Spirit. No, not that kind of seal. So I encourage you to take that and, 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 and get out a notepad. Just, it doesn't have to be big. And ponder that. What does it mean? He gives me the seal of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It also says in verse 14, and some of your translations are going to be different. He says, you're sealed with the promise of Holy Spirit in verse 13, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. Now, I already talked about how we don't have it. That's those verses I read from Paul. He says he's looking forward to when he can, when he can get it. And then the phrase ends to the praise of his glory, which is how we ended two weeks ago. So he, he says, I give you this earnest, this guarantee, that's what it means, it means a down payment. He says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as an earnest or a guarantee or a down payment of the inheritance that you do not have yet, but that you will have in full sometime in the future. Consider this Holy Spirit the earnest or the down payment or earnest money, just as you would give an earnest money if you were going to go buy a house. Or you'd put a down payment on a car or any other thing. That's just what they, and sometimes the word as it evolved in use was even used of an engagement ring. Here, I'm giving you this ring. We're not married yet, but I'm giving you this ring. This is a, this is a pledge of my uh, commitment that we're going to be married. And when, um, when we do... Um, the wedding, the ceremony that I do with the wedding and the rings, I talk about covenant and how that ring is a sign of the covenant. So, um, in First in Corinthians, excuse me, in Second Corinthians one twenty two and Second Corinthians five 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 five, Paul uses the same terminology that the Holy Spirit is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. So let me go back over this just quickly here, and we're going to shift gears a bit. The Holy Spirit is a seal, the proof, a taste of what's to come, the confirmation of God's saving grace and of the promise of much more later. Um, so much of modern Christianity and, and so much of what we think, and, and it's normal for us to follow, but so much of what's said in modern Christianity is about today. And certainly the Lord is with us today and he wants us to pray. He promised to meet our needs every day. Give us this day our daily bread. So he wants to be with us every single day. 
Interesting and amazingly, though, um, when the Apostle Paul talked about this, he said, you know, I have a desire to to depart and be with the Lord. For that, for me, would be better. He said, but if I stay, it'll be because the Lord wants me to be used in your lives. And that will be better for you. And then Paul kind of acquiesced to the will of the Lord. But think about it for a minute. The Apostle Paul knew that what is coming when he dies is better than what he has now. Say, well, of course. He was beaten and whipped and fed to beasts and shipwrecked, persecuted. Of course it was better for him. Well, all of that just prepared him for his reward. We, 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 we have the, the other problem because we have things so well we, we think that heaven's a glorified earth. The Apostle Paul knew that it wasn't. And he knew that this seal and this down payment was to give us a taste of that inheritance that we would at one time have that'll make all of the struggles and hassles and things that we thought were good here on earth pale in comparison. Verse 15. We're going to jump into one of the <laughs> next longest sentences in the Bible. I can't, I'm not going to read all of it right now. But he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And we'll just go that far. We'll, we'll look at 15 and 16 here and try to get a little bit out of that. Um, I, I could read all of this, but, but let, me, let me just talk about this here. and We'll, we'll kind of... Uh, be stingy with the time. As I read this, I took two or three things away from Paul's words. Number one, at least the thing that struck my heart was, what do we value in others? What did Paul say he valued in these people? He said, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I gave thanks to for you. Paul was moved to be thank to, to thankful prayer because of these two spiritual fruit. You can read that in Galatians 5:22. Both those things are mentioned. Paul later mentions his fruit of the spirit. By the way, fruit is singular. He mentions both those things later. Trusting in God and loving others. Paul, whose, whose heart was transformed by the, by the grace of God, here 
because, because his heart was transformed, think with me, saints, because his heart was transformed, he, he was now focused on these spiritual qualities. He was, he was called to be a minister, <laughs> um, to minister the gospel to people. Not in the modern vernacular or the, the cultural acceptable thing that we have so that he could build up great big things. He was called and his focus was that God would do something in people's hearts. And because he was focused on that, because he was looking for that, when he saw it, he recognized it. And he said, I heard about you guys, I heard about your faith in the Lord, and I heard about your love, and because of that, I've, I have been moved to give thanks for you when I pray. So Paul saw their faith and love. I, you know, I asked myself, I said, Paul saw that. How did he see that? What was going on in his head that caused him to see that? And once again, I think that that was his calling in the gospel. His calling in the gospel was to share this truth that would set people free, and the Holy Spirit would then produce those things in their lives. So when Paul saw that, he saw that as proof that what was going on was of God. And because of that, he gave thanks to God for it. And then I asked myself, well, it just was a natural thought. Maybe my mind's weird, but it was a natural thought. What does God see? If that's what Paul saw, if that was important to Paul, and that's what he is telling these folks, and by the way, just a little parenthetical statement here. As you read through the writings of Paul, you look at what he's focused at. Look, look what he's focused on. Look where his, look where his heart is. It's none of this stuff that, that we tend to have barnacleized onto our Christianity. So I ask, what does God see? Does he see culture? Does he see our finances? Does he see our appearance? Does he see our habits? Things we do externally? What, what does, and then I said to myself, well, what, what do I see? And then I said, well, can I look past all these things? Can I see a brother or sister that, 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 that I have disagreement with doctrinally or practice differences? There are all kinds of people who are believers who have differences in, in doctrine and difference in practice. Some of them are minor and some of them are major. It doesn't mean they're... There are, of course, fundamental things if they don't believe this and they're not a believer. But the Lord, it's the Lord that does that and, he, and the Lord will confirm whether or not they have believed the truth of the gospel, and he will confirm it, if you remember what I said not quite half an hour ago. He will confirm it by sealing them with his spirit. Putting his spirit within them. So can, you know, so can we give thanks to those, for those who are in their air or trusting in the Lord? And are sharing the love of God, and then I, 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 in my heart, I went, I went another step, and I thought, Lord, that's just all the more, if 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 I write them off because I disagree with them on some tangential thing, and I write them off, then I no longer have, I, I, in my mind, I no longer have any responsibility for them. 
And the Lord said, no, that's not true. If they're a believer and they have faith in, the, faith in Christ, you're to give thanks for them and you're to pray for them. And we won't have time to get into it today. But Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be opened and that you'll see a bunch of things. So all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and says to me, look, you can't, you can't write these people off. It's your job to help them see what truth they don't know. And maybe they're looking at me and they're saying, I wish that guy would see the truth he doesn't know. You you liked Colin more, didn't you? (laughs) Don't do that to me. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, the second thing I thought about this, you know, not only what do we value in others, but the second thing I thought about this is thanksgiving results from these elements, faith and love, and then recognizing the, that faith and love. So I asked myself, if I'm not seeing this in other people, I'm not probably giving thanks for them. If, I, if, if, if my mind is, is carnal... And, and focused on other stuff, I'm not going to see that faith and love. I'm not going to be giving thanks to them. And my whole spiritual exist, my whole spiritual experience is lessened because of it. I'm not richer because I'm not giving thanks. I'm not closer to the Lord because I'm not giving thanks. I, I believe that God wants us to be uh, surrounding one another with valuing and thanking for others and by being in our lives a source that causes thanks in others. Our, our, our modern church world has indoctrinated us to be worldly in our lives and in our assessment of others. And, and the Apostle Paul kind of deals with this in different ways and it's it, it's it, it sometimes is uh, difficult for us to put into practice but you know the kingdom of god is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and and, uh, and joy in the holy ghost we're not to judge a brother whom the lord has redeemed because we're not his master he doesn't serve us he serves the one who redeemed him. And so, uh, Lord, help me communicate this. As I read this, I just felt so inadequate and too worldly, too easily focused on externals. Too little, too little connection. There should be a strong cord between every believer, that faith and love. And there's other things that go into that, of course, but that's the topic here that Paul uses. There should be a strong cord there that, that, that supersedes all of this other stuff. And, and, and as I looked at that, I said, man, this is real spiritual life. Thanking God for the faith in others. Folks, each week... We have people who share their faith 
and what's going on in their lives and ask for prayer. That, that, that's not done just because we're trying to fill up time. We do that so there'll be an involvement in other people's lives so that during the week you will pray for this person or pray for the person they ask you to pray for so that there will be involvement and connection on a, on a spiritual level. So we have that opportunity to give thanks for God's work in the lives of others. Look with, look with me for a minute to another one of Paul's books, to the book of Philippians. I almost chose to do Philippians instead of Ephesians, and maybe I should have. I keep wanting to go there. Philippians 1. Listen, listen to the apostle's heart. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'll stop there, but he goes on the next verse like he does in Ephesians here and talks about how he's praying for them. But listen, listen, listen to this guy. Paul was no wimp. I love the story of the Apostle Paul taking, you know, you know the story, don't you? And he's on the book of Acts. He's, he's on the book of Acts. He's on the boat, and we, hear this, we get the story in the book of Acts, and he takes command of that ship. you got a guy who, because of the presence of the Spirit of God, had an aura of authority about him. So that both the ship's captain, who was probably the owner and the Roman soldier who was over that garrison, that, th- those troops on that ship, both of them listened to what the Apostle Paul said and did what he told them to do. He fought with beasts in Ephesus. This guy was no wit, but when you listen to this, you hear, you hear his heart and how his heart is connected. And, and it's connected to them because of the gospel. Verse, uh, verse 20 of the same chapter, chapter 1. As it is my er- eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I'm in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, I, may, I alluded to this earlier when I talked about that there's better things waiting for us, and Paul knew that. Here he says, I'll give that up because it's all about you guys. Because we share the gospel together, and this is what God wants me to do. Look, look, I'm going to skip ahead here. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. I'm jumping in the middle. Oh, that's, that's not right. It's not chapter 2. Um, it's not chapter 3 either. Verse 19, I'm sorry. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Did he just say that because he was being nice? Or is there reality and meaning in it? He says, for I have no one like him. The, the, the topic here is actually Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's pro- proven worth, how as a son of the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I will myself I myself will come also. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy. Once again, I want you to hear his heart. I'm going to send Timothy, and, and, and he testifies of Timothy that he seeks yours and that everybody else seeks their own stuff. But Timothy has a heart for you. Timothy's example of service. And later he uses Epaphroditus, and he also uses Jesus, and he's, all, always, he's already used himself. What, 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 what if we all had this heart focus of Paul and Timothy serving others in the gospel? Giving thanks for one another. I've, I've watched lots of church programs down over the years. Um, I've watched things come and go. Um, servant leadership classes and, or practices and missions and all sorts of things go on. Where I was this past week, a young woman came over and um, introduced herself. There were several of us there. She asked us all our names and, and she was very smiling and polite and and very gregarious and outgoing and did her very best to ingratiate herself with all of us. She was from a church group. And uh, uh, because others apparently were busy, she began to talk to me and, uh, you know, asked me about a couple things. But basically the first question she asked me was where I went to church.
and I, I knew where it was going, and I kind of pondered whether or not I was going to be mean to her. <laughs> and maybe I should have. Maybe I should have said things that will cause her to think that her question was insignificant and shallow. As if going to church determined my spiritual state. I hope you're following what I'm saying. I haven't really thought too much about it till now. Maybe I should have challenged her on it. Lord, forgive me if I did the wrong thing. But that's where we live. That's the world in which we live. I have no question about her motive. I have no question about her sincerity. I have no question about her love for the Lord. I do have question about where the focus is. She was there to get people for her church. I want my focus and I want your focus to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came not to glorify a church, not to glorify a preacher, but to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when our focus is correct, like Paul's was, we will pray. So, I, I hope that we're all one another giving thanks for one another, and then I hope we're praying. And I, I started to say this earlier. There's so many of these programs and plans and, and processes and ministries and stuff that are all done from outside in. The best thing that you can ever do for anyone is pray for them. But I warn you, if you really pray for them, eventually God will cause you to have to take some action. God will cause you to talk to them. God will call, cause you to give them something or, 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 be, or confront them or share with them. But when you do, it will be because when all that happens, it will be because the Holy Spirit directed you because you have invested your heart and your life in giving thanks for them and praying for them. And there is a, rela- there is a depth of relationship there that only the Holy Spirit can produce. And that will produce fruit in your life. And if, the, and if um, God is gracious to them, it will produce fruit in their life also. Enough of this top down, let's go out and minister to the world out here. Let's just pray for our neighbor. Earnestly pray for our neighbor and love them like the Lord would. Give thanks for them. And the Lord will direct our steps. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for faithful people who take time out of their week. Lord, let not... Firstly please and I appreciate Lord the fact that everyone prays for me each week I appreciate it more than they know I don't want to say the wrong things let anything foolish or unnecessary or unworthy of you be removed from people's hearts and minds and memories and Lord take your word and stir our hearts 
Fill us with your faith. Fill us, fill us, fill us with your love. Help us give thanks for those round about us. That's the work that this Holy Spirit who sealed us wants to do in our hearts. Begin with me. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.